0: As I was praying, I saw a picture of a fish. And then I was immediately drawn to the accounts where Jesus said to his disciples to cast their nets into the deep water after being fishing all night and not catching anything. And then a miracle happened where there was this great haul of fish. And that is what I really felt God gave me to speak on this morning. And there are some things in here I really wanted to share and encourage us with at the start of the year about restoration and how Peter was involved in these two accounts before Jesus was like, you know, selecting his uh, disciples and at the start of his ministry. And then after he had completed his ministry, died and had been resurrected, and then appeared to the disciples again and cooked them breakfast on the beach. And in that account, we see this amazing restoration Of Peter. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes Christmas, as Matthew was saying last week, can be a mixture of different things all going on at the same time. And as Christians, yes, of course, Christmas is, you know, one of the main things that we celebrate and we love it. But the practical day-to-day of, like, Christmas in our culture can be quite busy, quite stressful, can be quite hard. And sometimes when we're out of routine or structure is taken away from us... And we have to kind of do stuff. Sometimes, for some of us, we might find that, you know, we kind of fall back into old habits or the worst comes out of us. Or we get a bit irritated by certain people around us or we become the irritation to those around us. And sometimes we can come out of Christmas and into a new year. And we can literally just feel like, oh my goodness, I'm supposed to like just... Go into this new year now, all guns blazing, you know, and all the rest of it. And I just wanted us to really take a moment and to like come aside for a little time this morning to really focus on how God thinks of us, how God feels about us. And as Beth said this morning, to remind ourselves of who we are and that our identity really is in Jesus right at the start of this new year. And so if we are in need of a little restoring this morning, I would invite you to open up your hearts right now to the Holy Spirit, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he can restore Peter, he can restore us. So I want to start by reading the account of this great haul of fish in Luke 5. And it says, Jesus provides a miraculous catch of fish. So one day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, with the people crowding round him and uh, listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one boat, one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat." When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've been working hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And so they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell to his knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Simon said, Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid, from now on you will catch men. And so they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything and followed him. And I love this account. So Simon, Peter, was awestruck by this miracle and his first response was to feel his own insignificance, his own failings and his own sin, In comparison to this amazing man, Jesus, who was great, wise, divine, awesome, who had just performed this amazing miracle, and he was amazed that Jesus could even be slightly interested in a man like him, to be on his team and to become a follower of Jesus. How could this amazing, godly rabbi be interested in an ordinary guy like me? And this is what I love about this text, that the disciples are so relatable, especially the likes of Peter. Impulsive, passionate, real, outspoken, a little bit of a lad. And it's really comforting to know that Jesus picked or chose or selected the likes of Peter to become his like inner circle. Those he would train and love and teach and rebuke and challenge and do amazing miracles in front of accounts that we are still reading about 2,000 years later. Ordinary people, same issues, same problems, struggles and hang-ups and sins as we have to deal with. And that's okay, because God's solution for all of that stuff, sin, was to be dealt with through the life work and sacrifice of his one and only son and that is what christmas was about it was the start of this regeneration that jesus came to this earth and lived his life and ultimately gave his life for each and every one of us ordinary people to have a restored relationship with god to have the things that we have done wrong forgiven and to have jesus in our lives now and in eternity with him forever now When I was writing this song, I was reminded of a song that I used to listen to in the 80s. Anybody remember the Pet Shop Boys? If you're over 35, 40 maybe, 50, who knows? And uh, the Pet Shop Boys had this hit, and it was called It's a Sin. And my friend and I would listen to the top 40 every Sunday night, and we would hang out in her room and we were in musical theatre. So we were always like doing choreographed routines to the song of the week and that type of thing. And I can remember doing like a dance routine to this song. And at the end of the song, the words were like, it's a sin. And there's a verse in there and it says, I look back upon my life. It's always with a sense of shame. I've always been to the one to blame. It's a sin. And then I can remember at the end of the dance, we was getting down on my knees and sort of putting my hands together and bowing before God and ending this routine. Now, as a young 13-year-old Christian, I was very torn that I was dancing to this song that was singing about sin. But having, like, researched a little bit of it, it's really interesting because the verse that he sings about, how he was looking back upon his life, always with a sense of shame, I've always been the one to blame and how sometimes we can look back on our lives or I can look back on my life and think about, oh, we should never said that or we should never done that. But you know, we never need to look back upon our lives like that when we have given our lives, our dealings and our sins over to Jesus because we are assured of his forgiveness and his cleansing and we are made new and it's something wonderful to celebrate And in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And Neil Tennant, at the end of this song, beneath the music, he recites text from the Latin Mass as he was a lapsed Catholic. And it's translated, I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers, that I have sinned exceedingly in thought, word, and deed, though it is my fault, my most grievous fault. And in a way, we can see, you know, this sort of sort of repentance. And some religious leaders at the time praised this song for raising the sort of really important question about sin in a secular society and how it kind of opened up a conversation about it and also how faith and the cure for sin can be found to a sort of lost generation. And as we know, this is the message of the gospel. And another account of this great catch of fish is found in John 21, verses 1 to 16. And this is what I really want to focus on this morning, because Peter sort of failed miserably, didn't he, when he kind of denied who Jesus was. He must have felt really awful. But in this account, we see this amazing restoration And in our lives sometimes when we feel we have stumbled or failed or we're dealing with issues of our past, we never need to look back over our shoulders thinking about all of those things that we have done and our failings because Jesus has put all of those things right because of his work and his love for us. And so here in John, we see this amazing story that afterwards Jesus had appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened the way Simon Peter, Thomas, Didymus, Nathanael, from Cana of Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were there together. And so you can see Peter must have been feeling awful. They must have all been traumatized after the events of the last few days of Jesus' death, and then resurrected, and then he's appearing, you know, to various people at different times. And they were probably feeling a little bemused, traumatized, and what's going to happen next? And so Peter says, I'm going off to fish. And some of them said, well, I'll come with you. And so they go off into the boat in that night and they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stands on the shore. We all know and love this story when Jesus came and he cooked breakfast for his disciples on the beach. And he called out to them, friends, have you caught any fish? No, they answered. And he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. And then the disciples whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garments on and he jumped into the sea. Typical Peter, impulsive, just wants to get to Jesus as soon as he can because he's probably been out fishing all night in like sort of of a loincloth, which is like the equivalent of a pair of shorts, because that's just easier to do all the fishing with, and it was probably hot. So he puts on his outer garments, because it's probably not that respectful to turn up on the shore to your saviour of the world or a rabbi in that attire. And so he dives into the water with all these garments, with all this cloth on. Swimming must have been really hard to get to the shore to get to Jesus meanwhile the disciples are kind of like sensibly rowing the boat to shore with all the fish but Jesus um, Peter is like so keen and excited that Jesus is there appeared after death to them this is a special moment he just wants to get to him to see him and and there he is and then the boat is hauled and the fish arrives and it was only like about 100 yards when they landed and saw this fire burning, the charcoal with fish and bread on the beach. And in verse 10, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. And Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153 to be precise. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. And this was now the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And this is the part I want to focus on. In verse 17, Jesus talks with Peter. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, "'You know that I love you.' Jesus said, "'Feed my lambs.' Again, Jesus said, "'Simon, son of John, do you love me?' He answered, "'Yes, Lord, you know that I love you.' Jesus said, "'Take care of my sheep.' The third time he said to Simon, "'Son of John, do you love me?' And Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him three times, "'Do you love me?' He said, "'Lord, you know all things.'" You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. And here we really do witness a profound moment of restoration between Peter and Jesus. Symbolically, Jesus asks him three times if he really loved him, despite, as we know, Peter's earlier denial of Jesus three times, where he must have felt awful. In Matthew 26, we read, there were three stages to Peter's denial. First, he acted sort of confused, and he tried to divert attention away from himself by changing the subject. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know the man. Secondly, he used an oath. He kind of denied with an oath, as if those words would give more clout to his sort of um, saying to the people that, I do not know this man, Jesus. And as we know, Jesus was being tried, and he was in his darkest moments, and he had asked the disciples to pray and keep watch, and this was a moment where, you know, they did not know what their future was going to be, and, you know, people were after them too, and was he going to be arrested, and who knows what was going to happen, he was afraid, he didn't know what to do, he didn't know where to turn, and yet Peter, with all of his compassion, I will love you, Lord, I will never leave you, Lord, here we really see him being tested. And, sec- and thirdly, he began to curse and swear. Now he was getting agitated and frightened. I swear, I do not know the man. I do not know the man. And Peter must have felt so awful when he heard that crow, and um, the, the crow crowing three t- times. And in that moment where Jesus has said, you will deny me three times, Peter. And he says, no, Lord, I will never deny you. And yet we can just feel his anguish and his pain here. How sad he must have felt that he had let him down and let himself down. And sometimes in life we can feel like we leave people down, we leave ourselves down, we leave God down. But this is an amazing, powerful story of restoration and there's things in it for all of us. Sometimes God takes us back to a painful time and he meets us there and he restores us and he forgives us and he heals us in that place. For Peter, it's like Jesus took him back to those recent events when he denied him three times like he said he would. Three times. But in doing so, he healed and he forgave and he deeply changed Peter forever by his grace and his love and his mercy. And that love and grace and mercy is available to each and every one of us today as well. He is the same Yesterday, today, and forever. When Jesus entered Peter's life, this ordinary fisherman became like a new person. He never failed to follow, even though he stumbled, sometimes big time along the way. He did not become a perfect person, and uh, the changes certainly didn't happen overnight. And he never stopped being Simon Peter with all of his personality features and quirks. But when Jesus chose his followers, he wasn't looking for perfect human beings. He was looking for real people, people like you and people like me. He chose people who could be changed by his love. And then he sent them out as he sends us out to communicate that love to others, that his acceptance and his love and forgiveness was available to anyone, even to those who fail. And so the lessons from Peter's life, and in these accounts for me this week, I have learned that God's faithfulness can compensate for our greatest unfaithfulness. Even when we stumble or fall, God is faithful. And it is better to be a follower who fails than one who fails to follow. And Charles Spurgeon was a a minister, pastor, and an author And many of his um, messages have been recorded. He was a pastor of a church in London in the 18th century, I think. And I've just been reading some of his talks lately. And Charles Spurgeon talks a lot about restoration. And he talks a lot about Peter as well in his messages. And he states in one message, that the reason Peter denied knowing Jesus was because he was caught off guard. And even though he was impetuous, impulsive, quick, ready, brave, and courageous, at the same time, in that moment, he lacked backbone. He was carried away by surrounding circumstances. I thought that was my phone then. <laughs> That's normally my wake up alarm. Anyone else got the same alarm? <laughs> Flashbacks of 6.30 morning alarms. Lovely. Thank you, Russo. <coughs> Thought my time was up then. <laughs> Good. <laughs> so yes, the so Charles Spurgeon talks about Peter and about the, the sort of time here where he was caught off guard. And it reminds us to stay prayerful and watchful and to guard ourselves spiritually about some of those things that could surround us some of the dangers of like past temptations or, you know, the thing that so easily ensnares us sometimes, to be strong and to be watchful and to be prayerful in our lives. And if we do find ourselves falling or giving in to temptation, which can lead us back into an old pattern of sin, Spurgeon reminds us that we must believe that God is in the business of new beginnings. No sin is greater than Christ's desire to forgive it, he says. No conscience is too stained that God cannot wash it white. Print every word of that verse in Jeremiah, verse 31, verse 34, chapter 31, verse 34. I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. And do you know what he says to print it in? Diamonds. These aren't real, by the way. He says... Print every word of that in diamonds. That is important. The Greek word for diamond is Adamus. It's invincible. It's indestructible. It's a hard material. It's natural. It is an amazing substance found deep in the earth. And it's so valuable. And the only thing that can scratch the surface of a diamond is another diamond. And so remember this. I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Sometimes, as Christians, we know we're forgiven, we know we are loved, we know we are in God's family, but we look back on our lives sometimes with shame, and sometimes the enemy wants to remind us of all our failings, but we need never look back in fear because God promises us that He remembers our sins no more, and we are washed white as snow, we are forgiven, we are a new creation. And I want to encourage us with that that you would imprint that verse like a t shirt in diamonds and remind ourselves when we feel the enemy is kind of wanting to bring us down or trip us up or discourage us with our past stuff just to remember that as Beth said today who we are in God we are part of his family and so it is a new year and a new year can be filled with new beginnings and so let's start it with our hearts positioned right before God to Joy, whatever it is, God would have us sort of put our hand to this year and that we know that he is with us in every shape and everything we do and in everything we embark on. It might be hard, it might be tough, but he is with us and we do not need to fear, just like Tim said this morning. We've had so many reminders and encouragements today and let's take them all to heart and take them seriously and to just know who we are in Christ that we are his children, we are loved, we are forgiven, and nothing can separate us from that. So let's pray. Lord, we are so humbled as your children to stand here today knowing that you've forgiven us so much, that you love us so much, that you came to this earth to deal with this stuff that we deal with so often. And we give all our lives to you wholeheartedly at the start of this year, Lord. We give our failings to you. We give the things that we struggle with to you. We give our temptations to you. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would help us and deliver us and build us and make us strong in you, Lord. That you would help us to be prayerful and watchful this year. That we would be aware of those things the enemy would come and uh, trip us up with but we just want to commit this year to you. We position our hearts, Lord, to be open to the things that you would have us do to those people that you would lay upon our hearts to reach with your love, Lord. And we just give you our lives at the start of this year and we ask you, Lord, to be with us and to make this a good year, Lord, one where we see those people that we love come to know you, one where we would see those people we've prayed for healed, When will we see those people who loved you once come back to you, Lord? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.